You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 146. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You've reached another Local Maximum. Good to be with you today. Uh, Today, I want to share with you a really great discussion. I am so excited to have this episode out. Uh, This was a real mind-expanding discussion, both the research I did for it and the discussion that I had for me. Uh, This is a a discussion with a mathematician I've been following for a few years who's who's online. Uh, as, As someone who's been thinking about basically artificial intelligence for many years, I'm always looking for a new way to approach it. And I dove into the work of today's guest, Ty Danae, and I think she really has some in- interesting insights into it. And I was like, I've got to talk to her. And uh, we finally got it done after uh, after a little bit of a while. If you're not a mathematician, I want you to stay. And you know I would tell you if this wasn't for you, but you're going to get... Um, you're going to get insights from this discussion that you won't get anywhere else. And uh, you're going to hear, it's not just going to be dry and technical. You're going to hear, uh, you're going to hear us uh, discuss some interest, whether it's like struggles in, in terms of like understanding stuff or like, you know, like philosophical questions on like the, the meaning of, of understanding and intelligence. All of it's interesting, I think, for a general audience. Sometimes we go off the, off the deep end here, but uh, <laughs> I, think you'll, I think you'll enjoy seeing that too. So we cover a lot of ground. We're going to start, we're going to talk about topology, um, but also kind of the trick to writing about a topic like that clearly. And I think um, there'll be lessons to take away from that. We're going to cover the language of mathematics, uh, or no, not the language of mathematics, the mathematics of language. So Ty Dene has things to say about it and what that means for how we communicate and how we think. And finally, we're just going to dive into the idea of using the mathematics of quantum physics in AI. Is this possible? Something that I haven't seriously considered before, and I suspect many of you out there want to know. You're not going to hear these ideas anywhere else, folks. So, all right. There are a few announcements at the end, but I just want to get started for you today. My guest today is currently a postdoc at X, the Moonshot Factory, formerly Google X. I honestly thought when I saw X in the bio that it was just like a stand-in that somebody forgot to write in the uh, uh, the um, the organization. But no, X, it's a, it's a real thing. You might remember Google X. And she is also the creator of the math blog, Mathema, and a PhD mathematics graduate from the Cooney Graduate Center. Ty Danae Bradley, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Hi, Max. Great to be here. So first of all, congrats on your new book. Here it is. I'm going to hold it up. I know this is not a, I, I got oh. it. Let's see. Topology, a categorical approach. That's Wonderful. like 144 pages of honestly really hard stuff because this is like graduate level stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. So I, I mean, I could actually, I actually thought, I mean, you know, I'm not, um, you know, my degrees in computer science, so I thought I wasn't going to be ready for this, but I was actually, uh, I found it, I read a little bit of it, I found it to be like very clear, and there's a lot of math books out there that are not, um, that are not as clear or straightforward, which I think, you know, sometimes you could present really difficult topics. It doesn't necessarily have to be that difficult if you organize it correctly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you come to put this together? Like what, what was this project like? Um, yeah, well, first, thank you so much for your purchase. That's so cool to see you (laughs) over there. That's really awesome. Um, 
So yeah, how did we come to do this? So there are three authors on that book of which I am one. And um, one of the authors is John Tarilla, who is my thesis advisor when I was in graduate school. And um, he had written already a collection of topology notes from when he taught the course at, at the CUNY Graduate Center uh, and decided along the way that he wanted to expand them or fill them into a, a book. Um, now, I like to write. And also, uh, the other co-author on our book is Tyler Bryson, who was also a graduate student of John at the time. So, you know, essentially all three of us got together and voila, the book. So I see. So you had the material. And when you said you write, you like to write, now I'm kind of starting to understand. Like, that's why it's... it's um, it's actually a lot clearer than a lot of other graduate textbooks in mathematics might be, uh, and, and maybe much more interesting um, because you probably that. care about putting it together. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then not that other people don't care about putting together, but like, you know, I, I don't know. Some of that stuff is rough. I'm, you probably agree, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, 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 that's fun. The, the funny thing about having three co-authors is that we all sort of have a little different writing style. Yeah. And um, it's fun when my friends, you know, check out the book and they're like, oh, Ty, I know you definitely wrote that sentence <laughs> on that page. Like that totally sounds like you. So we tried to have a uniform voice, but, uh, you know, maybe it didn't quite get there all the way. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool that people say that for a math book. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I, yeah. You know, this book for, for like um, math enthusiasts, uh, to put top, topology enthusiasts, this is great probably not for like a general audience, but I wanted to yeah. ask you like when somebody outside of the mathematical community asks you about what you're working on in terms of topology and you attempt to answer them, you know, what do you say? What are topologists actually trying to understand? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think there were maybe two questions there. Let me say the first one. If someone were to ask me, what am I working on in terms of topology? I uh, might say, Personally, nothing right now because the research that I'm doing does not yet involve ideas of topology, although um, one day it might, and that would be very, very nice. But generally, um, what are topologists looking for to answer your second question? Um, there are a few things. Maybe the first thing that comes to mind, and this is a question not specific to topology, but all, you know, all across different uh, branches of mathematics, and that is trying to understand when two things are the same up to some appropriate notion of sameness. And so in topology, um, I know you're familiar with this, people say two things are the same if you can you know, continuously deform one into the other, or that's why topology is sometimes called rubber sheet geometry, or why people always, always use that famous example of you know, coffee cups and donuts being sort of the same thing, because you can like smoosh one shape into the other shape. So this, this notion of sameness and understanding the right way to, to capture that idea and then to answer that question, that's a big, that's a big thing. I think also interesting is uh, trying to understand when things are not the same. Like I have two shapes and I want to understand, okay, are these genuinely different with respect to the things that I care about? Right. And so th th this is this is very abstract. So I just I want to stop here because you're talking about like with respect to the things that I care about, like that is that depends on the field. And like so topologists care about one thing, but in the broader category theory, that could be any number of different things. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. So when I say things you care about, there are there, you know, 
maybe topological spaces. And if that's too abstract, just think of like things. There's things you're interested in uh, and maybe they have some properties and that's why you're interested in them. Like, I really like dessert. Why? Because it has the property of sweetness. And that's something that I think is just delicious. Uh, and maybe I like that property, you know, over like whatever properties mushrooms have. I don't really like mushrooms. Yeah. I want to know like, hey, right. what other things are like sweet and delicious? Oh, like this class of things called desserts. You see, is that is right? That yeah, 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 of course. But, you know, you know, donut is a dessert, but, you know, cookie is, but top topologists uh, wouldn't go for that. Right, right, right. Okay, so then, right, so since we're having a conversation about topology, we have to ask, okay, what are the appropriate properties for this discussion? We're not, yeah, we're not talking about food. I mean, I was. Gotcha. Not, yeah, not I know. Distracted. I do a lot but, too. <laughs> but yeah, so, so now we're having a conversation about topology. And so we have to know what are the properties that we're interested in. And then, and then these properties have fancy technical words like, I don't know, connectedness. Hausdorff property, compactness, and things like that. So there are things that people are interested in, uh, you know, for t that are appropriate in that discussion, namely topology. So once you have these properties, then you can ask, like, okay, given that that's what we're interested in, now let's, like, you know, have a discussion about sameness, for instance. Right. What parts of topology do people have trouble understanding when they first um, dive into it? Oh, I would guess. I'll tell you what mine was. Yeah, please. After you're please. done. No, you go first. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see, we'll see if, if they're the same. I would okay. say probably the actual definition of a topology, because if you hear, you know, two people on a podcast talking about cookies and donuts and, you know, abstract things, you're like, oh, maybe this sounds kind of fun. Uh, maybe yeah. some of your listeners are, are doing work in, you know, machine learning or artificial intelligence, and they've heard of topological data analysis, right? You, you hear these kind of words, and you're like, oh, I want to learn this. So then you go to Wikipedia, or you go to your university's math library and check out the famous book in topology, and you turn to page one, and you see definition, a topology is. So I'm laughing because this is so. This is pretty much what I would have said. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah. You you look at the definition and it's like this dry list of axioms that have nothing to do with the fun stuff you heard, you know, on the po podcast or. Yeah, it has, has nothing to do with shapes. Yeah, it has nothing to do with shapes. And then and then at that point it can be very discouraging because you're like, oh, this is not what I thought I was getting into. Where you know, how long does it take to get to the fun stuff? So I think that could be one barrier. Uh, is that sort of what you were thinking? Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's also, it took me a long time to figure out, like, why is that the definition? And I'm not even going to go into the definition here. It's, it's not, like, long, the definition of a topological space, but it's, like, a lot of math books just throw it out there, like, this is a topological space. It's like, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> you know, yeah, I, how come you could take <laughs> infinite uh, unions but not inter infinite intersections? Uh -huh. I don't get it, uh -huh. you know? Uh-huh. So, yep. Yep. And, and maybe another thing which we already touched on is that it's just very abstract. So yeah. if the math that you're used to is more computational, uh, maybe like, you, you know, you did really well in calculus, maybe you did a little bit of linear algebra and you're like, yeah, this is great. Let's do more. And then you get smacked in the face with topology, which is very abstract. You know, the, the computations, quote unquote, are very different than what you do in calculus. It just feels uh, it, it's like a, I don't know, a little bit of mathematical culture shock depending on where you come from. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to move on in a second, but before I go on, like what, 
what in your opinion, and this, this question popped into to my head. Yeah. So <laughs> what in your opinion is like the coolest result in topology or the coolest result that you can share easily? Oh yeah. Um, I think my favorite result is probably something called Brouwer's fixed point theorem. And I like that result because of the proof. Now, um, Maybe I'll just say for the listeners, there are lots of places on YouTube that have really great, exciting, easy to understand videos about this. But let me just tell you why I like it. Um, the proof of this, well, there are several, but the one that we uh, show in our book that you're holding um, illustrates, I think, in one of the most amazing ways possible, why category theory, which is sort of in the title of our book, um, is something that's married so naturally with topological ideas. So category theory, like, wow, if you thought topology was abstract, category theory is this even more abstract branch of mathematics. But what it essentially does is it provides a bridge between topology and another area of math called algebra. And it turns out that sometimes thinking about topology can be kind of difficult, but if you can transport your difficult problem into easier language or language where you're like, oh yeah, I feel really good and comfortable about this, maybe like group theory, algebra. You can solve your problem there and then transport it back. And so in this proof of this theorem that I like, it sort of puts this transporting idea on display using simple language and category theory. And I think that's like a great commercial, um, mathematically speaking, for the sort of power of these categorical ideas and topological ideas coming together. Would it be possible to tell us what Brouwer's uh, fixed point theorem says? Yeah, yeah. So essentially it says... Um, if you have, uh, the word is a disc. So just think of a circle that's filled in. Okay. And you sort of do any kind of continuous smushing of it. Yeah. Um, there's always going to be one point that, that ends back where it started. So maybe I'm, I'm describing this in two dimensions, but I think the usual three-dimensional yeah. explanation is, is the nicest. So like if you have a, a coffee, a cup of coffee, and it's still, right? Yeah. And then you take your spoon and you swirl it around and then you let everything come to rest again. The theorem says there's always going to be one little molecule that ends up exactly where it was before you stirred. Right. And that's not uh, very clear, but we, uh, but, but, but it's true. Right. But it has to be. Yep. <laughs> okay. I, I want to turn to your work on language modeling, because that's something I have some actual experience with. Um, I've, I've talked about it before here on the show, you know, some, some of the Foursquare data sets, which is like, you know, real data sets. We didn't do anything like, um, it, it, what's always interesting about these real world stuff is we don't do anything where each part is not that sophisticated, but it gets put together mm -hmm. in a very complex way. Um, but uh, some of the parts of your approach here, and I'm talking about your paper, uh, you know, language modeling with reduced densities, but, but I know I'm, I'm sure you've done other stuff, so you could talk about whatever you want. So, so, so your approach here is new or new to me, and I want to explore it further. Um, but before we begin, I want to learn, know more about your approach to understanding language through mathematics, because you have a video entitled Languages Algebraic and Statistical or Compositional and Statistical. Uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, thanks for the question. Yeah, so the video, uh, um, I think the title is At the Interface of Algebra and Statistics but I do use language as the primary example. So maybe just, I can give some quick background for listeners. So I'm a 
I'm a mathematician and I'm very much interested in algebraic and statistical structure. So algebra is a thing in math, statistics, probability are a thing in math, but what if you have algebra, an algebraic structure that's mediated by statistics? Like what's at the interface of these two things? As far as I know, that's not mathematics that's really been explored, even though it's all around us, in particular language. So language is algebraic or compositional because you can take two words and stick them together to get a new expression like, you know, red fire truck, stick them together, red fire truck. Um, so that's a little bit like multiplication, you know, or concatenation. This is like an algebraic structure. But there's also statistics involved because some of these multiplications or concatenations occur more frequently in language than others. Um, I think... I, mean, I don't have to give an example. Right. I think people know, but you know, the one I use in the video is like, okay, orange fruit is a thing that we can say. And orange idea is also a thing that we can say, but you know, one of those phrases occurs less frequently in English and that actually contributes to the meanings. Um, right. I mean, I guess you can have an orange idea, but <laughs> sure. I don't why know. not? <laughs> right. Right. No, but I'm thinking like, okay, like, uh, 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 there are certain things where they both exist where uh, it would still be less likely. Okay, like red fire truck versus like purple fire truck. Right. Like there's no reason why you can't have a purple fire truck. It's just that's a real world experience. Right, right. And, you know, the I guess the probability of someone saying I saw a red uh, purple fire truck speeding down the street is slightly less if you report sure. purple with red. So well, you, you've got to understand, you've got to have like general AI to understand some of that stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, this is difficult. This is very difficult. Um, but anyways, but as a mathematician, I'm just interested in this structure. What is it? Yeah. And I like to think of language as kind of like a guiding example. Um, I really personally enjoy mathematics that is motivated by sort of real world physical uh, observations. I think that's a really exciting place to be. And so in that sense, I think, you know, language is a, is a good example of um this structure that I think deserves more investigation. So um, I've spoken about the basic language models here, as I've said, uh, specifically assigning probabilities to different words and phrases. You just talked about that. Uh, one of the things that I keep trying to discuss, which is not always that clear, is like what is the difference between statistical models of language and like actually understanding the meaning of the words or is there a difference? So I, I find it's not always straightforward and I just wanted to know, like, how do you think about this question? Um, that's a very, a very good question. Uh, I will say my opinions are, or thoughts are probably not great because um, I know that a lot of people spend a lot of time. You're selling, you're selling yourself short though. You have a, you have a, um, you have a perspective here that um, that that I don't have, and well, other people who listen don't have. So, I, I appreciate. So please that. share. Okay, I, I, I will, but before you know, I don't want to get yeah. in trouble with the people that actually think about artificial general intelligence and natural language understanding. You know, for like decades. Uh, but <laughs> well, I do. Well, okay, not decades, maybe like a decade. But a decade. you know, uh, you're not going to get in trouble with me. Okay, so. good. Phew. Go ahead. All right. So let me say. I guess two things come to mind. One, when I think about the state-of-the-art language models that are out there today, like you know, transformer networks, they are amazing. I think they are probably not really understanding. Um, first of all, I don't know what the right definition of understanding is or or meaning, but you know, just like 
intuitively. Uh, I think there are enough examples where you like, you know, play around with GPT-3 and you, and it gives you some funny answer and you're like, huh, that's weird. That's kind of cute, uh, but like clearly wrong. So I don't think they're quite understanding, um, but they are amazing and they can do really, really impressive things. That's my first thought. My second thought, if I could take this back to mathematics, um, this question brings to mind a quote that you might be familiar with and your listeners uh, might be as well. From This is a quote from a linguist named John Firth back in 1957, who said, you shall know a word by the company it keeps. And I like that a lot because it's kind of suggesting, hey, if you want to understand something about the meaning of a word, and like maybe later on you can make that understanding more principled and try to incorporate it in your language model, then you should know something about the environment or the context of the word. So you shall know a word by the company it keeps. Um, I like to think of this as the ling you know, linguistics version of a really famous mathematical theorem called Yoneda's Lemma. Uh, or the Yoneda lemma, which essentially says the same thing, but for mathematical objects like topological spaces, as we were talking about earlier and so forth. So it basically says, um, you shall know a mathematical object by the company it keeps, um, if I'm allowed to say it in that way. Uh, it's a little bit more technical than that, but it sort of says, if you want to understand uh, an, a mathematical thing, like a topological space or a vector space or whatever, then it's enough to look at how that object interacts with all other objects in its ambient environment. So if you want to study that, like don't, you don't have to like take a magnifying glass and look at it. its internal, uh, internal anatomy. You can zoom out and just see its context and how, and that gives all information. And so, so it seems like, from both the linguistic perspective and the mathematical perspective, you can learn quite a lot about meaning, meanings of things by this sort of like statistical, environmental, contextual perspective that I think people are already doing. So it seems, you know, I don't know what the answer is to the question, but there's a lot of evidence for that's the right. Yeah, thing. it seems like there's a school of thought where like, you know, machines will understand language if we just have more and more and more yeah. statistical models. And then there's another one saying like, no, we need, um, we actually do need like a, 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 a semantic graph being generated. Yeah. And I don't really know. Um, uh, I, I don't think it's, it's clear. I, I don't think it's proven either way yet. Yeah. Um, is, or even if it's like the, even if we know that like the question is well formed or something like exactly. that. Um, okay. Oh God, I have another mind bending question <laughs> next, which I don't even know the answer to. So maybe you could help explain this to me. So you're some, using some ideas in um, quantum physics to model probability distribution. And this is like very new to me. I mean, I've seen, you know, I've seen some of the math for, for quantum physics before, but I've never used it in a, in a probability model. So I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this because you know, I understand standard probability distributions. I think, I mean, that's hard for a lot of people to wrap their head around to begin with, but I'm not really sure what's going on here. I, I, my sense is we're adding more information, but I don't know what that is. So, so maybe you can explain that. I don't know if you, so far you've been very good. I'm like, I'm like, this is, this is going to be tough because I'm having trouble. Okay. Yeah, this is a great question. So I'm going to try my best to answer this in an understandable, uh, an exciting way. So let's see. Okay. Let's see, let's see how this goes. Um, first, let me just say for a benefit of, of listeners, um, we were talking about 
algebra, statistics, and language, and all of a sudden there's like this curveball, and now we're talking about quantum physics. What, yeah. What in the world? Um, what is happening? This is why I knew this conversation was going to be so awesome. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So let me, um, rather than just just diving into quantum physics, let me actually gently lead us there. And let me do that by first just saying I'm interested in algebraic and statistical structure. And I think we've given enough little examples to see why that should be interesting. Um, Again, think of language like when you can take words and kind of multiply them or concatenate them together. That's a little bit like a group. Like I have, you know, if you like symmetries or group group theory, you have like elements and you can, uh, you have a group operation, you stick them together. Maybe I have all that, but without inverses. I don't know what the inverse of red fire truck is. So let's throw out inverses. Yeah. Now I'm going to make another analogy. When we were talking about Brouwer's fixed point theorem, um, I sort of said, hey, sometimes problems can be difficult. And so you want to transport them over into another field of math where things become easier. So a few minutes ago, we said, hey, let's take a topological space, but actually associate to it a group. And that's kind of what the meat of the proof of Brouwer's fixed point theorem um, does that I have in mind. I want to do something analogous here. Um, rather than viewing language as an algebra or like a group without inverses or a place where I can multiply things, that's great. But it turns out that doesn't really have all of the structure that you want. Let me not explain that. Um, but let me just sort of say, if you actually, um, it turns out, assign to your little elements that you multiply together, something like matrices. In other words, if you transport your problem into the world of linear algebra, now we're talking, right? Everyone likes linear algebra, I think. Uh, many people like linear algebra, and especially if you want to do something concrete in the space of machine learning, linear algebra is where it's at. Or it's common. Yeah, there's a lot of good techniques there. There's a lot of good techniques. And even from a mathematical perspective, um, I have in mind something called representation theory, where you represent some algebraic structure using uh, matrices or tools of linear algebra. So I'm going to transport my problem now into this space of linear algebra. So what that really means is I have a word and I want to assign every word a matrix with the property that I, if I have like. So that's different from like, you know, Google, like word to vec, it usually associates yeah, yeah. the word with a vector. Vector, right. Instead of a matrix. Yeah. So, so let me just say the, the things that I'm talking about here are, are radically different than the current technology that's out there, right? So we're really thinking out of the box here. So um, what you can do is you can assign to each word a matrix such that the matrix for a phrase like red fire truck is just the, the matrix for red multiplied by the matrix for a fire truck. Um, so in, in mathematical terms, this is called a homomorphism. So there's my algebraic structure, it's baked in. But I also want the probability and statistics to arise. And so what you can do is you can say, like, like the probability of a word, like fire truck, to be something like, take its matrix, and then just multiply it by its adjoint, or if people are more familiar, it's conjugate transpose. Um, and maybe take the trace of that. Now, if that is, okay. um, if those terminologies are confusing, let me just say, yeah. anytime you have like a thing and you multiply it by another thing and get a real number out of it. So I took a matrix, I multiplied it by its adjoint. Maybe I take the trace. Uh, 
It's a little bit more than that, okay? But it's, it's- <laughs> let's not. I mean, I think we lost a bunch of people here, but it's okay. Let, let's let's find the uh, let's let's let, let's keep going. Let's okay, find a conclusion here. Any anytime you take a, a thing and you multiply it by another thing and you get a real number out of it, that should make you think of complex numbers. I have a complex yeah. number. I multiply it by its complex conjugate, and I get a real number out of it. Sure. Okay. So this idea of sort of squaring to recover probabilities plays a huge role in, in quantum mechanics. So there's your first kind of connection. The next connection is, and um, okay, now it's going to get technical, but I'm going to avoid doing that by just telling everyone. <laughs> when, yeah, go for it. Don't try too hard. Like I, I want you to be able to say what you need to say. Okay. But, okay. Uh, great. Go for it. So the, that's sort of the first intuitive c- connection to quantum mechanics. Mm, I get a probability by like squaring a thing that reminds me of complex numbers. Okay, there's yeah. there's one thing. The next thing is when you zoom out and you take a big breath and you're like, whew, what did I just do? Oh yeah, I have these matrices assigned to words. I get these probabilities by kind of taking the trace of the square, blah, blah, blah. What is that? And you just ask, does this have a name? Um, it turns out the information that you're dealing with um, can actually be described by something called a tensor network. Now, um, I don't expect that uh, many people uh, that are listening have heard of tensor networks. So let me just say, this is a tool that um, historically is used in quantum mini body physics to understand the states of quantum systems. So. Like if you want to understand the state of some quantum system, but you want to simulate it on a computer and do stuff with it, a tensor network is probably going to be one of the things that you're going to use. Um, Maybe for people who are, you know, we were talking about linear algebra. If all of that sound sounded fancy, just let me just tell you for the benefit of the listeners, a matrix is an example of something called a tensor. A vector is an example of something called a tensor. Um, this is like a vector is like a one dimensional array of numbers. A matrix is a two dimensional array, but like why stop it too, right? You could have a yeah. cube's worth of numbers. This is called a three tensor and so forth. So a tensor network is essentially just like matrix multiplication, but sort of in this, you know, in this larger dimensional array space. Yeah. I mean, that's very common when you're dealing with data. Right? Yeah. Because there's yeah. always like, yeah. you know, there's always like all these different layer, like, you know, you could have like uh, three fields to specify and then all of a sudden you have a three dimensional. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. This is a familiar thing. It just so happens that not only are these kind of, you know, higher dimensional linear algebraic ideas useful in machine learning, but they're also useful in physics, which is also not surprising because you have like a whole bunch of small things interacting with each other, kind of like you have data, a whole bunch of data and it comes together and gives you something interesting. So when, when we zoom out, and sort of say, okay, you know, this is kind of what we want to see. Um, you notice that there is an established body of literature in physics that explores these kind of algebraic statistical structures, not in the context of language, but in the context of physics. So, hey, maybe we'll like see what happens if we borrow some of those ideas and those techniques. Um, and I think it would be helpful to say the um, this idea that I'm describing uh, was first um, laid out in a paper in 2017 by John Turilla, Vasily Pestun, and Yanis Vlasopoulos. And uh, in 2016, there was a really nice paper by 
Miles Studenmeyer and David Schwab. And I think they were um, some of the first to kind of spearhead this idea of taking tools from, from quantum physics and applying them to supervised and unsupervised learning problems. And so now this is an active area of research. So do you think that, um, you know, do you think we could build any machine learning algorithms like in the real world that use it? Do you think it's practical at this point? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, the, like I was saying, this is this is active research right now. There are people working on these things. I think it's practical. I think, um, you know, I think I'm not discouraged by the fact that really impressive state-of-the-art language models exist already. I think that's actually very encouraging because what it suggests is, yeah, there absolutely is algebraic structure, statistical structure out there. These language models are sort of um, maybe accidentally stumbling on them. Boy, wouldn't it be great to actually identify that and then sort of build a nice principled uh, model that, that uses these ideas. Yeah. Well, so what would your dream application be if you had all this time, time and resources? Like, what would, you, what would you use this for first? Oh, would that's it be a, language model? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. My, well, since I'm coming from the mathematics side, my dream, my dream dream would be to pin down the math. Um, and then I, and then I'd pass that on to, you know, the people with applications in mind. Uh, but you know, there's, there's lots of really great applications out now. So maybe doing something like that. I really like, um, one thing about having a tool set of established literature is that you, um, there's really great potential for interpretability of these models. And so, you know, being able to have models where you can say, oh, we know exactly why it worked and here's why it worked or, here's why it didn't work. Um, I think that could be really helpful, especially when developing a product. You know, people would like to have faith in their models um, before, yeah. they, before they use them uh, in, in some way. So I think that could be a good thing. Yep, you're right about that. <laughs> um, all right, so you actually have a pretty big presence on the web and on YouTube. I don't know if that's, uh, when you got into mathematics, uh, I was gonna say, I don't know if that's, that's how common that is for mathematicians. Uh, did you always want to try to popularize what you're doing or did you just happen to kind of fall into it? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I guess it was more falling into it. Uh, I certainly did not start a blog to become popular. Uh, that was not a goal. Um, I started it because I wanted to understand what I was doing um, or what I was learning at the time. Uh, so I started the blog I think my first year in graduate school, when you're studying for these qualifying exams, these are these exams that are, okay, they're really like final exams. So maybe not such a big deal, but also it's a little bit of a big deal because if you don't pass them enough times, you get kicked out of the program. So like no pressure, but also it's good if you pass them. So I was studying for these exams. Um, now, some people learn well by I don't know, different ways. Some people are like visual learners, others are auditory, other people do things by learn things by action. Um, I learned best, I learned early on, I learned best by writing. So mm. when I was studying, um, I would have to, I, you know, Max, I would look at the definition of a topology and I'd say, what in the world? I do not understand. I do not understand this. This is yeah. not, I, what is this English? I don't know. So and honestly, I, I saw it like probably as an undergrad and it took me like years to come back <laughs> to it. I was like scared of it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> See, I understand this feeling of, of being scared um, by the math. I, I totally get that. So what I would have to do to overcome that is to just sort of figure things out like, okay, what did they really mean? How does this apply? Uh, how does this, you know, give rise to all of the cool stuff I've heard about? Why is this the right definition? Why is it that if I have this definition, then I can say this other 
thing, you know, called a theorem and it has its, like, why? So I would have to fight uh, through that dense fog of jargon and formality to make sense of the math for me personally so that I could understand and do well in school. So just by nature of that, I would start to accumulate these little mini expositions. I'd, I'd like fight through this and then understand it. Oh, that's why, you know, the definition is blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's why the proof used, you know, this trick. Now I get it. And then I think, why didn't they just say that the first time? It's so easy now. It's like obvious now. So I wish I had heard it that the way, you know, that way the first time. So I would write it out the way I wanted to be taught. So I would just collect all of these little expositions. And so eventually I decided, oh, hey, maybe other students are also in the same boat as me. I have done the work already anyway. Maybe I'll just put it online and see what happens. Um, and you know, I was a little afraid. First, I thought, oh, you know, my mom's the only one that's going to read this blog. and <laughs> She's not even a mathematician. So I probably shouldn't do this. Uh, so I was a little bit nervous, to be honest. Uh, every time I post a blog post, I get really scared. Um, uh, but anyway, I, I did it. And then I started to realize, oh, people are actually finding this helpful. You know, I guess these explanations aren't too simple. I was afraid maybe it'd be too easy to understand or too simple. Um, so when I saw it was helpful, I decided, oh, I guess I can keep, keep on going, keep doing this. And so that's how it happened. Yeah. No, very cool. It's, it's, it's great to hear about that. I think I first saw you on, uh, the infinite series, um, the, P the PBS yeah, thing. Yeah. Great. Cool. Yeah. That was like, and I was like, <laughs> whoa, that, <laughs> that I, I, I don't remember what you're talking yeah. about on that one, but I remember it was oh. like, it was like one of the coolest well, math videos I've seen Max. in a while. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, maybe I'll try to find that. And then, and then I was excited to see, oh, and then you're doing topology and then you're doing machine learning. I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta, I gotta talk to Ty today. Right. So, okay. So this has been awesome. We're about ready to wrap up. Let us know if you have any last thoughts on today's discussion. And also where can people who are interested find you online? All of this will be posted on the show notes page for this episode. Great. Um, well, well, thank you, Max, for reaching out to me. Uh, I appreciate it. And for all of your great questions. Uh, so people can find me online in a few places. Um, I write about mathematics at uh, a website called Mathema, um, but it's spelled a little differently. So M-A-T-H-3-M-A.com, Mathema.com. Um, you can find me there. I'm also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Mathema, M-A-T-H-3-M-A. Okay, great. I, I sort of pronounce it like math3ma.com ah. just to make sure people yeah. can type it. But ma mathema, I get it. It's like an e Exactly, flip. exactly. The word, okay. the word mathema is a Greek ah. word, which essentially means a lesson. Uh, turns out the domain name mathema with an E was taken by like some Italian company. And so I had to change the E to a three. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, Ty Dene, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Max. All right. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I did having the conversation. Everybody, particularly here in the United States, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Really one of the best holidays and, and best times of year. Um, and it's been a tough year, but I think we're going to turn the corner in a lot of ways. I've been thinking a lot about what the max, the, the local maximum looks like for the year 2021. And um, I'll be considering that for, for the next month. So um, for that reason, I'm hoping to have Aaron back on the show next week, and we're going to have a discussion on how we can interact with you, the audience, more and get all the great episodes you want back out to you. Have a great week, everyone. 
that's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.